everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Jambase podcast. I'm Scott Bernstein, and Jambase is partnered with Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. We'll hear my interview with guitarist Billy Strings later on this episode of the Jambase podcast. Billy's excellent new album, Renewal, comes out on Friday, September 24th through Rounder Records. Stay tuned for my chat with Billy. But first, let's hear from this episode's sponsor. I'm not sure if you've seen what the guys over at Grateful Fred have cooked up, but they've tapped into a pretty cool way to display our love of the dead on our cars. They started out by making the officially licensed Grateful Dead 13-point chrome bolt. The bolt is exactly like it sounds. It's a perfectly sized, snazzy little chrome bolt, super easy to apply, and it's all designed to blend perfectly with the rest of the chrome on our cars. That's where Grateful Fred got its start, but since then, they've expanded their dead-based offerings, and then some. One of the latest pieces of eye candy is the chrome Grateful Dead logo. This one will turn the head of any deadhead. It's just a beautifully designed chrome car badge. And like most of their stuff, it comes in matte black too. Okay, so Grateful Fred wooed me with the bolt and all these beautifully designed car badges. But earlier this year, they rolled out something completely different. And this I hadn't seen before. Metal stickers. Very different than any sticker I've seen. These things are impossibly thin pieces of metal, and somehow, they've managed to capture just an unbelievable amount of detail with each design. The metal steely is just something that needs to be seen. And the metal terrapins, and the dancing skeleton, and the bears, you get the idea. And naturally, the metal stickers look awesome on car windows. But windows are just the beginning. Now you're able to identify your laptop, turntable, speakers, toaster, TV, steering wheel, mirror, fridge, light switch, piano, toilet seat. Okay, maybe not the toilet seat, but it's always nice to know you could if you wanted to. All right, I really encourage you guys to check out Grateful Fred. Head on over to grateful-fred.com to check out all their bolts, car badges, and of course, those metal stickers. Now, let's talk about a few of the musical reunions and returns to the stage that took place since our last episode. The Trey Anastasio Band debuted a new lineup this past Friday at Thompson's Point in Portland, Maine. Desron Douglas has been wowing on bass, while Cochamea Gastelum has done a fine job holding down James Casey's spot on sax. Gastelum had a previously scheduled gig on Saturday night, so Tab fans in Boston were instead treated to a double dose of trombone as former member Jeff Cressman rejoined the band for the night. Jeff is the father of current Tab trombonist Natalie Cressman, and I love seeing videos featuring father and daughter trombone duels that the two engaged in. Kemi was back at it in New Haven on Sunday and in Philadelphia on Tuesday. Tab tour continues through October 3rd. Elsewhere, Genesis kicked off their reunion tour on Monday night at Utilita Arena in Birmingham, England. The famed prog rock act delivered a career-spanning set list that included a number of tunes the band hadn't played in decades. A Bit of Fading Lights was performed, a song unplayed since 1992. Additionally, the group busted out That's All, 
Dancing with the Moonlit Night and The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway for their first play since 1998. Yet the biggest surprise came at the start of Genesis' second set, when they dusted off Duke Jim Duchess for the first time since 1981. A tour of the UK for Genesis runs through October 12th. Then, the band heads to America for a tour spanning November 15th through December 16th. Now, while the Rolling Stones don't officially start their U.S. tour until this Sunday, September 26th in St. Louis, the group performed a private concert on Monday. The show was hosted by Patriots owner Robert Kraft at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts, and marked their first concert since the death of drummer Charlie Watts. A total of 14 songs were performed, including two live debuts and the first 19th Nervous Breakdown since 2005. Steve Jordan made his debut as the Rolling Stones' new drummer. Mick Jagger addressed the audience with guitarists Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood standing at his side and recognized the start of the band's first tour without Watts in 59 years. Mick's comments included dedicating the show to Charlie. Finally, legendary hip-hop act The Fugees announced a reunion tour. The trio will take the stage on the night we're recording this episode for a pop-up show in New York City, marking their first performance together in 15 years. Fuji's upcoming tour celebrates the 25th anniversary of their iconic 1996 album, The Score. The tour begins at Chicago's United Center on November 2nd. Dates in Oakland, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Miami, Newark, and Washington, D.C. follow before Fuji's head to Europe and Africa in December. Be sure to head to jambase.com for full details on these stories and so much more. Getting back to Billy Strings, I had, a great, I had a great chat with the guitarist. He was enjoying a rare day off in Spokane, Washington, while we connected via video chat. Strings discussed writing the songs featured on Renewal and the process of recording the LP. Billy shared memories from songwriting sessions with other members of his band, and then he talked about the role co-producer Jonathan Wilson had in making the follow-up to 2019's Home. The guitarist dove into how the album was sequenced and some of the tough choices that came when it decided to what songs to include on the album. The Michigan-bred musician detailed the music he listens to before shows, much to the chagrin of, chagrin of his bandmates, and on his fishing trips. We then chatted about the guests who contributed to Renewal, including his appreciation for fiddler John Melander. Billy went on to discuss the evolution of the songs on the album in concert and why he chose to premiere most of the material during his Deja Vu experiment run at the Capitol Theater in Porchester, New York, back in February. Our talk then turned to Strings' inclination for frequently adding new covers to his live repertoire and Billy's social media presence. Eventually, we discussed Billy's performances with Grateful Dead drummer Bill Kreutzmann and Billy and the Kids, and how honored Billy was to put music to Robert Hunter's Thunder lyrics. Listen to a bit of Renewal's single, Fireline, as an intro to my chat with Billy Strings. Divide. From the wretched underworld to the 
We're glad to have Billy Strings back on the Jam Bass Podcast for the first time since 2018. How's it going, Billy? Hey, it's going great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to, to have you here. And where where are we finding? Where where are we talking to you at? Uh, right now I'm up here in Spokane, Washington. We got a couple of days off, so we're just kind of kicking it up here. And then we're heading somewhere else. I'm not quite sure where. <laughs> it's a busy time. Uh, but you got a, you've had a quite quite a year, and this year uh, includes a fantastic new album, Renewal, which comes out on September twenty fourth. And let, let's talk about the timeline of the album. When when were the songs written? Um, I think some of them were written. You know, as long as see i mean well we recorded the record in january i think some of the record or some of the songs were probably even a year or two old you know and some of them were were newer like more close to the time of the recording okay but but uh but yeah a good chunk of them were i kind of already had pieces of them i guess the thing is there's songs on this record that have little pieces of um, songs that I sort of left behind a while ago and that I sort of picked back up and dusted off and actually finished. So some of them feel really old, even though I only finished them a little while ago because I had came up with the initial idea so long ago, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Um, and songs like Fireline and, uh, and Hide and Seek, they were written with, with the full band. How did yeah. those sessions go? It was awesome. Um, you know, we we kind of holed up in a little cabin for about a week and, you know, uh, wrote some songs together. I was I was like watching this Doors documentary documentary or something. And, you know, they were all talking about how they they all wrote all their songs together and stuff. And I just like it's like I want to do that, like with my guys, you know, I want to right with Jared and Billy and Royal. Um, so I just made it happen. I was like, hey, I'm going to rent this cabin. Come on over. We'll stay here for a week and see if we can come up with a couple tunes or whatever. And and there were, you know, Hide and Seek, I think, was one of the songs that we just made from scratch right there, all four of us. Okay. And uh, Fireline was Billy Failing's song that he sort of brought um he had a good deal of it done and we sort of helped him like finish it, you know, um, with a, helped him write another verse and, and stuff like that and arrange it and everything. And, um, so yeah. And then a number of the songs were written with Aaron Allen and, and John Weisberger. Uh, what's your recording process with those guys? Well, just, uh, I mean, I used to get together with John Weisberger a good deal and write, you know, write in my kitchen. In Nashville? Yeah, in my dining room there. But he has since moved over to North Carolina, so it's a little harder for us just to get together in person. So we've sort of moved over to, like, Google Docs. 
And me and Aaron had written a few songs together as well. And I started uh, thinking, well, I've written songs with a few people and I really enjoy writing with Aaron and I really enjoy writing with John for different reasons. I feel like Aaron and I really get, we get the more poetic kind of deep introspective stuff going, you know, which is a part of what I like to do. And John has this amazing bluegrass vocabulary and knowledge of old bluegrass, which I also, you know, kind of grew up on that stuff. So that's part of what I do as well. Um, and it, it just seems to really work. So I got the idea. I said, hey, why don't we, us three, put our brains together and just work on some stuff together? And I had several songs already kind of halfway done, like I said, and and I threw them, at, threw them up there. And, and these guys would, you know, come at me with some lyrics and I would come back and say, hey, let's do this. And, oh, well, that doesn't work with the guitar part, so can we do this or that? And just kind of work it out. And it's really fun to sit there with those guys and, and write, man. They're really great, great writers. And um, I feel like there's compatibility. Sure. You know, we, we work well together. And then yeah. you mentioned that uh, you recorded the album in January. Uh, where did you uh, re- record the album? Most of the tracking... I mean, all of the tracking was done at Sound Emporium in uh, in Nashville. And uh, so that's where we really made the record and recorded it. But then I went out to L.A. Uh, just by myself and flew out to Jonathan's spot. Jonathan, Jonathan Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Flew out to his spot in Topanga and... Uh, hung out in the studio for a couple of days and played triangles and synthesizers and, <laughs> you know, did vocal overdubs and just kind of, you know, that was like the fun part. It was almost like we made the Christmas tree in, in Nashville and then I brought it to Topanga to put all the ornaments on and put the little star on top. Well, that's a great description. Yeah. And what did you learn from Jonathan? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's a cool dude. I mean, he's just super chill, you know, and um I don't know. I mean, I mean he, he's the co-producer. What what did he bring to the to this album? Well, all of his nerdy knowledge stuff about like cool gear and recording techniques and you know, just weird different stuff to try to get different sounds, you know? I mean, it was weird the way he kind of works. It seems like he was kind of, you know, it's not like he was like uh, pushing us real hard or anything, you know? It was kind of like, I would like come up with an idea, like, hey, maybe we should try this. And he'd be like, yeah, man, that sounds cool. You know, he like made whatever I wanted to happen, happen. I'm like, man, I kind of, it was like this. I, was, I would explain to him, like, man, I got this sound in my head. Like, I'm trying to, I don't know what it is. It's like a synthesizer or it's like this thing. It's got sustain and it's in this range and it's got this tone. And and he's like pulling out his different synthesizers and shit. And I'm like, no, that's not the sound. No, not that's not the sound. And then that's the sound. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know. And so 
he was like working with me like that. Um, cause I don't know all that stuff. I, you know, I haven't made a, a, a bunch of records and stuff. I've made a few and, um, but I'm starting to learn. And I think part of, uh, you know, like when we won that Grammy on our last album, it gave me a little bit of confidence in the studio to kind of not just let the producers and engineers sort of lead the way, but to, uh, you know, to be the one that says, Hey, we need to do this, or we need to do that. Or I got this idea, you know, let's do it. You know, something as weird as whatever it is, you know, let's, you know, make some weird sounds, you know? Um, but yeah, like he was, he was really amazing at sort of leading the way without pushing or anything like that, you know? Um, and certainly like when we got out to his studio, it was like once he had all his toys, you know, and it was cool to just be able to play around with that stuff and play a bunch of different instruments that I usually don't play. You know, I, I was playing some little stuff on, I mean, he had like Ben Montench's, uh, piano out there and stuff. Cause he's working on Ben Mont's record and wow, so I, like, heartbreaker himself. Yeah. Yeah. So I played some notes on that piano, you know, and like, I, I did some uh, synthesizer stuff and we did some little percussion stuff and some oohs and ahs and different <laughs> guitar parts and bass stuff. And yeah, man, it, it was really fun to just goof off. And at what point did you go about sequencing the album? Um, that's always tough for me because... You know, I think we recorded like 21 songs or something. And you got to, these are all your children. Yeah. And you have to abandon some of them. And I didn't want to, you know. And I had some people on my team kind of um, saying, hey, we should make like a real concise, you know, 50 minute freaking record, you know, nine songs, just of all hits, you know, and I'm just like, but that's not really what we do. Like we go out and w one of our songs will be a whole side. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, um, so like, it's hard for me to do that. And, and somebody asked me in another interview, did it ever cross your mind that, you know, this record may be too long or, um, there may be too many songs or, you know, the way people's attention spans are today. Sure. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know what's going on on TikTok, man. I, I, <laughs> I make, I make records the way that I thought that they were made. I grew up on the white album and houses of the holy and electric Ladyland, And you know what I mean? So like, uh, I don't really pay attention to what's going on with people. I'm trying to make records the way that I, kind of thought records were supposed to be made. I mean, I, I like, we put out some singles and stuff too. I mean, I get that, you know, but I don't think our fans will be pissed if a record is an hour and a half long or, you know what I mean? If anything, no, it's just more, not. it's just more music. And, and, and the way that things are these days, it's like, you're just going to go to Spotify and listen to your favorite song anyways. You're not going to sit there. I mean, a lot of, some people will, will listen to the whole entire thing, but a lot of people will just go to Spotify and I like this song and this song. And so what does it matter if there's 10 songs or 20, you know, people are just going to choose the ones they like best. Might as well give them more to choose from. 
<laughs> do you listen yeah. to al- do you listen to music that way these days? Uh, sometimes when I'm home, okay. you know, and I, and I put on vinyl, you know, if I put on a vinyl, I'll probably sit there and listen to the whole thing. Sure. Um, but no, I mean, most of the time when I listen to music, it's at set break or before a show, I listen to like, you know, ICP or some like young Dolph or some crazy like Memphis trap shit to get me pumped up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. My band sort of hates it. Uh, but, you know, or so, like sometimes I listen to like old country, like Clint Black and stuff that just gets me hyped, you know? Okay. Uh, but like, yeah, when I'm, most of the time, if I listen to a good chunk of music, I'm, I got my boat behind me and I got an hour and a half drive to the lake or something. And that's when I can actually sit there and listen to an entire, you know, the whole I Speak Fula record, you know, from uh, Baseco and um, whatever kind of other shit I've been getting into, you know, like uh, Bela Fleck kind of has been turning me on to some of this Molly music. And I really like that stuff. Um, it's freaking incredible. There's this guy named Baseku Coyote, or I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. I'm probably butchering it. Uh, sorry, but um, amazing stuff. There's a record called I Speak Fula. Check it out, people. <laughs> myself uh, yeah there are a number of guests that appear on uh renewal um can can you talk about some of the musicians that that joined your core quartet uh, on the album well my favorite part was when we were recording the song leaders that i wrote with my buddy steve poltz who's a wonderful wonderful person he's incredible yeah, and um, we were writing or we were recording this song, and I just was like, "Hey, get everybody in here. We're gonna do a sing along, you know? Like we're gonna have everybody join in on the vocals." And there was like people on my team, you know, photographer, my my girl Allie, and manager, manager. Bill. I even got my manager to sing on the <laughs> record, and he's like. You know what I mean? Like, it was so it was hilarious. I, you know, I got people who I was like, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're like the janitor out there sweeping the floor. Come in here and sing. And then so, you know, that was a, just a fun moment because it was such a hard time being in the studio at that time. It was like, 
all the virus and stuff, everybody was, you know, taking tests every morning and shit like that. And it's just like, it, I said, screw this. Everybody get in here and let's sing together, man. Just have some you fun. Know? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was a really cool moment. And there's also fiddle on the album. Um, from, from, John Mylander plays yeah. all over the thing, man. He's, he's on all three records. You know, um, he's really like our unofficial fifth member. He plays with Bruce Hornsby and uh, I'm trying to steal him. But I'm not trying to be too pushy about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I I love John and I have this fantasy where he's like in our band fully, but I'm not the kind of guy to just like keep pushing for something like that or to, you know, he's got his own life to live. And sure. And if that stuff works out someday, it will work out and it will have been, you know, it, it's meant to be, you know. And if not, it, it is what it is. But, but yeah, like every time I make a record, I can hardly, I'm like, man, we got to have John here, you know. I, I, loved just, a, I saw the show that he played at, at the Bonnaroo Farm with you guys and he had so much that night. He does. He, he's an amazing player. He has bluegrass sensibilities but he also like loves fish and like loves to, you know, get weird with pedals and stuff and go as deep as you can go. He loves to go even deeper. <laughs> yeah. You debuted uh, most of the songs on Renewal during your Deja Vu experience run at the Capitol Theater back in February. Uh, did you give any thought to holding the songs back until the album came out? Usually that's how we do it. I mean, I this is my like third record, I think. So usually being the last two times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And turmoil, you know, like we might, when we release a single, we'll play that song on stage then for home and, and stuff. But this time around, it was like, we were, uh, you know, kind of on like quarantine and stuff. And like, we were playing these gigs and we had just kind of played them all in the studio. And it's like, man, we might as well just keep playing them. Otherwise we're going to forget them. Cause we're not even playing that much right now, you know? Sure. And also, but you know, I said, screw it. Let's just play them. You know, that's, I, that's, it's just as simple as that. I said, let's just play the shit. Who cares about keeping a secret? You know, like, the record is still different than the live performances anyways, you know, it's just, um, and I guess I wanted to try it that way. I wanted to see, yeah. um, to see how it works, you know, like maybe if I play them live, people will grow some attachment to the songs, you know, and before the record even comes out and then, you know, who knows? I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing, really. I'm just trying to, like, do this shit day by day. <laughs> but, like, yeah, that day when we when we started making the set list for, uh, you know, for that thing, uh, I just decided to play all that shit. And, and you know what else? We had to play six nights. And I think it was nice to have some more original music to sprinkle in throughout 12 sets of music with right, no repeats. there were no repeats. Yeah. Sitting around these memories under Tennessee, right? 
the songs evolved live in your opinion oh god i wish we could go back and make the record again <laughs> you know what i mean After because we yeah i mean we've played it in front of an audience now i mean when we played this stuff on the record it's like we just learned it we just made it and it's so fresh and infantile but but when we play it on stage it's maybe uh you know more like a teenager or something well, there's something to be said for capturing a moment in time and capturing the, that early, you know, when these songs are, are, are born. Totally. So, so there's something to be said. Yeah, it's just recording is like sort of hard, man. It's, I mean, if it was easy, everybody would do it, I guess. Yeah, you know? That is definitely true. But I, I really like the recordings that are really raw and and honest, you know, like the pizza tapes and stuff, stuff that you can just hear babies crying in the background and people doing dishes. And you can tell it's nighttime when you're listening to a record because you can hear the frogs in the background, you know, stuff like that. I really like recordings like that. I, I, the last couple of days I've been working on uh, just like recording some shit in the back of my, bu like in the tour bus. And uh, just like little instrumental tunes and stuff. And, you can hear like cars driving by and stuff in the background and stuff. And I just, I like shit like that, you know, That's but when real. you're in, the, yeah, but like when you're in the studio, you're trying to make this kind of portrait in sound and almost like think of it, thinking of it as like a movie as well. I mean, I think of it as like a movie, you know, it's like it starts and it's got a middle and an end and there's the credits at the end, you know, and, uh, I don't know. It's got to have some sort of flow. And that takes us back to the sequencing. When did that happen? Did that happen after you had finished with uh, Jonathan Wilson? Or did, was he part of that process? Um, it happened after, yeah, we, we made so many songs that, you know, like I was saying, you got to thin it down a little bit so i just try to get rid of the whichever ones i don't like the most okay and um and then yeah it's like how does this work and it's really it's really hard to to get a sequence down so i asked some other people to try i wanted some unbiased opinions i made the record i'm i feel certain emotions towards for certain songs I'm biased. Um, even my manager is biased. Even the other guys in the band, you know, there's there's a certain... I really wanted somebody who was not there, a total stranger, to listen sure. to it and to take a crack at it. And uh, there's somebody at Rounder Records who, like, that's their deal. And they sent a couple different ones. And I believe that I, I mean, I really did end up liking one that they sent. And I, um, we either went with that or went with a slightly revised version of that. But it was, what happened is like this person sent exactly what I was, would say. You know what I mean? 
True. I was like, leaders, leaders is at the end, you know, this is here, you know, the first song is this, you know, it was kind of clear. And then once I compared that track list to the other notes that other people had made, a lot of it lined up. Like everybody thought this is the first song and everybody thought this is the last one, you know, and, and it was real similar, you know, so it was like, okay, we're, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Get into the live setting. Um, you know, you often debut covers. Um, how much prep goes into having your band get a song ready for the stage? None. <laughs> like almost like a, it's just we're constantly winging it. I mean, I hate to admit that, but it's true. We're winging it, man. <laughs> totally. I mean, we, I will bring a song and we will learn it an hour before we go on stage. That's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, it's, that's why a lot of it's really kind of wobbly. You know, sometimes it's not, you know, the harmonies aren't worked out perfectly yet or somebody misses a cue because it's like, oh, fuck, I've only played this song once, you know, 30 minutes ago. You know, and, and I, my guys are, are so fucking badass, you know, that they can do that. Hey, I want to play this song, you know, and just throw it at them right before the gig and figure out the harmonies and, you know, figure out kind of what happens. But I mean, for the most part, when we get up there, I mean, nobody knows, like, a lot of times it's, I mean, depends on the song, of course, but like a lot of times nobody knows when who is going to solo okay you know we don't know if it's going to be a mandolin or a banjo or a guitar solo you know especially with those covers that we're sort of winging we're just we're truly up there playing like basketball with the music and we'll decide uh, on stage you'll just point (laughs) just yeah i mean i'll just kind of look at jared or billy or or someone will just take off and the rest of the guys submit you know and kind of it's like an amoeba you have to be like a liquid thing it's it's a really team effort you know and that's what i love about this kind of uh, music you know um it's so like i said it's like playing basketball almost you have to be there you have to be ready to if somebody passes you the ball you know um you can't let your team down absolutely Absolutely. Um, speaking of your team, I love your social media presence. Um, can you tell us about Jesse, the photographer that that tours with you? You always have such great photos up so quickly after the show. Yeah, Jesse Fats, F A A T Z, Jesse Fats Photography. He's a bad boy. I don't know, man. He's just a good-ass photographer. He's been a friend of Bill, our manager's, for a long time. He comes from Scranton. Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, you see him around at all the festivals and stuff, and we're very lucky to have Jesse out with us. He captures the essence of the show, you know? Um, And, yeah, he works with me on a daily basis closely on, hey, what kind of, you know, do you like this? Do you like that? What kind of shit are you looking for? You know, And, and, like, because I've... I started like those social media pages, like back in like 2011 or some shit, 2012, like, 
you know, back when I was playing coffee houses for tips, you know? Right. And, um, and so I've all, but I've always been particular about what I put up on there, you know, and it has to be like really me and it has to be like, you know, like I hate when it just sounds like marketing and shit, you know? I'd rather post a picture of us playing hacky sack at a rest stop or some shit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I like that a lot better, you know, but then it, it's gotten to a certain point where there's so many followers now and people and messages and, and I have like kind of obligations of stuff to post where I have to have other people kind of take over and post certain things on my behalf. And, um, and that's a whole another, you know, ball game because when you got somebody else speaking for you and you know it's it gets weird at times especially when you're particular about it uh, like me um i I can imagine but it, it it takes a lot off my plate though so i can focus on writing music and playing shows you know not worrying about like what goes on instagram you know Cause that shit's like it. No. That got old a long time ago. You know. <laughs> I How, can imagine. However, I I still love interacting with people on there, and I love talking to the fans and and seeing you know, like what they're saying about the shows and shit. But it's a really also like a negative thing for me too because like it's weird because there's you know hundreds of positive stuff, but the one negative thing will just stick out to me and ruin my day. You know, so I try not, I try to just avoid going on there to read stuff like that, you know, like, you know, it's weird. Like, yeah. Like even one of my heroes, like Sonny Osborne was like, you know, kind of like talking shit about us. He's like from the Osborne brothers, like the fucking classic bluegrass band, the Osborne brothers. And he's like saying, yeah, they're like a subpar band and all this shit. And I'm like, damn, like, I, I wish I didn't hear that because, like, I love Sonny Osborne, And I still do. I've actually just said, fuck it. I don't care if he hates us. Like, I still love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> All that yeah. matters is what, what you think in the end, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I mean, but, dude, they were fucking badass, man. You can't, can't deny that shit. Absolutely. And finally, uh, you played a number of shows with Grateful Dead drummer Bill Kreutzman. Uh, how did that collaboration originally come together? Man, I don't know. But was it for the uh, the shows in Hawaii? It was some something that happened long, long ago. It was like it happened like in the Big Bang. That's when it was decided <laughs> that me and Billy were, you know, build the build the drummer and build the drummer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I think he, you know, somebody reached out to my manager and I had heard about it. Uh, my manager said, hey, I think Billy Kreutzman is a fan and, you know, maybe wants to hang out or something. And uh, maybe even do a gig or something, you know. And I was like, holy shit, you know, that'd be awesome. And uh, and then one day I was sitting on my bus. We were in Texas, I believe, outside of the Moody Theater where they do Austin City Limits. Okay. And I got a phone call from a random number, but it said Kreutzman and it said Hawaii. And I was like, 
I know a Kreutzmann that lives in Hawaii. <laughs> you know? So I picked up the phone and it was fucking Billy Kreutzmann, man. He said, hey, I want you to come out and play at my birthday party. And by the way, I got some Hunter lyrics I want to, you know, see if you can put some chords to and stuff. That shook me, man. It was uh, like I haven't I haven't cried like that in a long time. The only time I cry like that is when someone dies. Like I don't I don't cry when I go to therapy. Like I'll talk about the craziest shit I've ever been through and not cry about it. But like I didn't cry when I won a Grammy. Right. When Billy Kreutzman called me and said, yo, there's some Robert Hunter lyrics that I want you to, you know, kind of take a crack at it. You know, I said, yes, sir, and kept it tough on the phone. But as soon as I hung up, I fucking broke down, dude, like bad for a long time. I couldn't, I couldn't keep it together. You know, it was like an hour, an hour and a half. I couldn't stop fucking crying. And my mom called me and she's like, what's the matter? And I said, I can't, I couldn't even talk. I gave Allie the phone and I was like, man, can you tell her? <laughs> Cause I just couldn't keep it together. I called my friend, Uncle John, who's, he makes my tie dyes and he's a dear, dear friend of mine. He's the first person I called. He's in his mid sixties and he used to follow the dead. Um, and he's a wonderful, wonderful human. And I just, I called him right away and I said, you're not gonna believe this shit, you know? And and I, I was, I couldn't even talk, you know? He's like, what, Billy, what's the matter? You know, talk to me. And I'm like, I'm fucking just bawling my eyes out, you know? And That's beautiful. It just hit me hard, man. It was like a validation or something. And I was really like doubting myself at that time too. I think, remember how I was just talking about how something could ruin my day? I think, you know, I was like, who knows? Maybe it was Sonny Osborne. <laughs> Either uh, all I was saying is I was like really doubting myself, and I was feeling like I suck, and I don't know, just all this shit. And and that day, uh, Bela Fleck called me as well. He called me before Billy did, and that sort of cheered me up. But then I got the call from Billy, and. You know, he said the stuff about the Robert Hunter songs, and I was like, uh, I don't know. It was just an intense moment in time for me because I was feeling a certain kind of way, and I needed that. I really needed it because it really helped me uh, feel a little bit more, believe in myself a little bit more. 
Well, the the product that we've heard, Thunder, is is an amazing song, and it came out really well. Um, so congratulations to you for for taking that ball and and running with it. Well, I got to thank Robert and uh, and Billy. You know, Billy for trusting me with that. I mean, something so sacred. Yeah. That's why I cried. Is because. He actually believed in me, you know? I mean, he said, hey, I love the way you play dead music. I think you do it right, you know? I think Jerry would have loved you. I think Robert would have loved you, you know, like, and just to hear all that shit from your hero and, you know, the guy who was there and everything, you know? And it really just blew my mind. And like, I don't know, like I said, I just, I needed that, man. and. It was it was a really beautiful thing, and it's helped me a lot. I'm glad to hear that, and uh, hope that there's more where that came from, not just in terms of Robert Hunter, but in terms of things happening to you that that make you feel that way. That's a, so beautiful. Bela Flex record just came out, My Bluegrass Heart, and I played on a handful of those songs, and that was one of the most kind of validating things. I've ever done. I mean, those guys are my heroes. I was in the studio with David Grisman, Jerry Douglas, Sam Bush, Chris Thiele, Bela Fleck, you know, Stuart Duncan, Edgar Meyer, Mark Schatz, all the guys I grew up worshiping. I mean, these guys are larger than life to me. I never thought I'd be sitting in a studio in a chair with a microphone in front of me across from David Grisman. You know what I mean? When I was seven years old, my dad sat me down and taught me about David Grisman, and he was our hero, you know, him and Doc Watson. And, you know, it's just like crazy how that shit worked out, you know. And so that record, Bela trusting me with that, sitting in that chair, that's Tony Rice's chair. You know what I mean? And that's enough to make me cry right there, too. I was... I was driving to those sessions trying to convince myself that I was worthy of being there. And it wasn't working. Um, the only thing that I could come back to was, hey, man, Bela's a freaking genius. Like, he wouldn't have you here if, you know what I mean? Like, I got to trust Bela's instinct and knowledge He's a, he's a real badass, right? I think he's a real badass and a genius and a music. He's my hero. Well, then why am I not trusting his judgment to have me on his record? Exactly. And, and, uh, the last inter the last podcast that we just published was with Bela and he spoke about what, what, why he's such a fan of yours and, and why he, he, he thinks you're, you're the real deal and, and how much he enjoys your playing on, on my bluegrass heart. So, Oh man, uh, I haven't heard that, but you should definitely check that out if you're ever feeling so, blue again. He's so, he's so great. He's so kind. His family is beautiful. Just going over there and seeing his little kiddos and stuff when we were recording, <laughs> like they're so sweet. And Abigail is just an amazing person too. And I just, I just love that family. They're, they're just really sweet, man. And like I said, it's, it's an honor to be friends with these guys who I've grown. I grew up, you know, really, really idolizing them, you know, and 
like I said, I, I just called David Grisman earlier on the phone. I'm up here in Washington. Right. You know, maybe want to scoot over there and say hello or whatever. But like like that, being on a first name basis with with those cats, you know, is it's still a trip to me. It's still a trip, man. I can imagine. And you're still young and, and it's uh, there's a uh, lot lots ahead. And we look forward to seeing how it all plays out. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to talk with me and um, really love Renewal. And uh, as said, it's out on uh, September 24th. Um, so so th- thanks again, Billy, for, for taking the time. It, it's really been incredible uh, over the past few years to just watch, w- watch you go. Thank you so much. Well, it's been... You know, I've been encouraged a lot by a lot of amazing people, and I'm so grateful for all that support and um, encouragement and and love. And people are so generous, you know, with their hearts and uh, to spend so much time and and need money and buying tickets and, you know, coming across the country to see us play. And I can't believe it. You know, I really it's it's like my childhood dream come true, you know, and. I'm just so thankful for everybody that plays any part of that. That's beautiful. All right, man. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on. And All right, Jam Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Billy. Be well. Yes, sir. Thank you. Just like reflections of the fire in your this episode of the Jam Bass Podcast. Much love to Billy Strings for speaking with me. I can't recommend his new Renewal album highly enough. Be sure to pick it up when it comes out on Friday, September 24th. Thanks go out to you for listening and to Jake Alexander for producing the episode. Please subscribe to the Jam Bass Podcast on your podcast provider of choice if you like what you've heard and leave a review. Take care and go see live music if you can do so safely.